Thank you for joining us at the Center for Spiritual Living Seattle. We hope you enjoy this podcast. And for further information about our center, or if you wish to make a donation, please visit us at spiritualliving.org. <laughs> oh, isn't it good to be in the house? Oh, and sweethearts, I love you, I love you, love you. And I don't want to, you know, for those of you that have invited us into your house, thank you for inviting us. And I hope that by the presence and the power and the love of God that exists in all places at all times where there is no time or space or distance that you feel what's going on here. Just let it happen because it's fun. It's fun to... Uh, that was, that was a God saying, oh man, yeah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Uh, it's fun to be um, in the vibration. So, you know, put the cell phone on your heart and just, you know, let it vibrate there. It's good to be with you. Um, I've been talking this last month. My theme has been science and how it supports spiritual revelations, which is actually appropriate because Ernest Holmes, when asked to describe what kind of organization we are, he said, we are a synthesis, a synthesis, put it all together, a synthesis of the opinions of philosophy, the discoveries of science, and the revelations of religion, but that's not enough because that's just good conversation, applied to human needs and aspirations. Another way of saying that is God's always talking, who's listening? And sometimes scientists listen, and sometimes people on a spiritual path listen, and then we call them, you know, we call them saints and sages and mystics and magi and uh, prophets and monks and... um, but, and sometimes the philosophers are called wise, and we quote them for hundreds of years after they've died, but there's only one thing talking. And then the people listening will share what they hear through their own dialect and their own background and their own cultural experience, but uh, it's called the golden thread, and you can actually study that. There's, there's books on the commonality that exists through philosophy and religions throughout the ages. So, that, so Ernest Holmes wanted to promote that golden thread, those golden ideas, but he wanted them for the betterment of the people listening. Your betterment, my betterment, so that we live a fuller life. If we're going to live, why not live fully? If we're going to live, why not have security and happiness and, and um, not wait for heaven but be in heaven here and now. So um, I could do a whole talk. I could, I I really, I put this down because I wanted to go off on a tangent about why religion and science got so separated and probably for a very good reason at one time, but then never the two shall meet. I've been studying scientists recently and reading a lot of scientific books written by scientists and a lot of science doesn't want to hear anything about Anything mysterious, mystical, spiritual, non-material. And a lot of religions don't want to trust science. They want to just trust God. Well, the God is the God of all things. God of all things. Talks to all people. And I realized that, I, and I, then I got a bunch of Facebook people saying, yes, let's do this. I think I'm going to have like a, a monthly conversation with Kath. I won't even call myself 
Kathy Ann. I'll just be Kath. Well, just, you know, just a Google conversation with Kath. You bring your wine and, and we'll just sit and you can have coffee or whatever you want to have. And we'll just have conversations about all the stuff that goes on in my head that isn't appropriate for Sunday. <laughs> and it's not that it's not appropriate for Sunday. I'm not going to like cuss. <laughs> Don't get excited. <laughs> it's just that it's not necessarily going to help you have a better life and that's my purpose is to inspire and empower people to live closer to their God so that living closer to God we live in harmony with ourselves, and we create harmony on earth and harmony on earth looks like heaven that's my purpose and that's what I do on Sundays that's what I'm what's I'm here to, that's what I'm paid to do but boy I'm going to have this leather little hey let's talk about science and, and one that all got divided from you know it'll be fun That'll, that'll be my alter ego. <sighs> so, let's get started. There's so much. I'm actually going to give you two talks today. So I want you to pay double. <laughs> when you write that check, just double it because you're getting two good talks. Two good talks. Not just little, no. Mm -mm. First of all, from the biology of belief. <laughs> Uh, the, the, the scientist that wrote the biology of belief was a biologist, and he had studied cells, and what he noticed was is that cells actually do act like, like living, breathing, thinking things. And then he realized, and I've, I've actually done a talk on this, I remember like 15 years ago, but I hadn't read that book, is that the way the cell stays healthy is the way we can stay healthy. And he looked at the cell in the membrane and how the cell reacts to its environment. And when something new comes to a cell, the cell has two choices, and it can only do one of two things to that membrane. One, I mean, from that membrane. The cell reacts to stimulus, reacts to its environment, what's around it, outside of it, by either defending itself, shut, I mean, really protecting itself, which is really good when you want to have antibodies, when you really want a good... Uh, uh, immune system. Those cells know how to go, uh-uh, no, not, mm-mm, not, mm, not, not in this organ you don't. Or what you do, or what could happen, is that the cell sees the environment and it says, hmm, this might be good for me, and it opens up, it creates portals to let things in that will nurture it, nurture it and help it grow and divide and multiply. But then he noticed that the cell can't do both at the same time. So when the shell cell cell seashells seashells at the seashore, and you know, when the cell shuts down and closes itself off, it also makes sure that you can't grow. That's why people who have, who are chronically in in distress, have a hard time adjusting because they are so closed off. They, it, it's. Um, we just, chronic stress inhibits our ability to live fully. The chronic push inhibits our ability to live fully. And what I've noticed about that and what he noticed, and so I'm just going to, he said it and I've noticed it too when I did that whole thing on cells 15 or 20 years ago, is that human beings do the same thing. We take new information, and often we take the new information we want to close off. Just nothing. We don't want to let a new idea in. 
But if we allow, and I'm working on this myself, when we allow ourselves to know that we are a center of divine operation, and therefore we are the action of God, and therefore everything in our environment is for our good, then we can take it in. We can, we can be open to it. Now, it doesn't mean that we keep it, because cells sometimes take things in, and then they push it back out again. But at least they took it in. It's like, well, no, I, bleh, bleh, are you kidding me? We can take in ideas, ideas and go, no. And we, but at least we've taken that idea in, and that means that eventually we're going to take in some good ideas that will help us grow. I mean, I've been thinking about that a lot. I, 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 when, when I read something or, I, or instead of reacting like, are you kidding me? It's like, can I take that in? Can I imagine how that would be? Because even though I don't want that for myself, I have to imagine it so that I can grow. And I could go off on a whole tangent there, but I've got another talk to do. But instead, I want to share with you two definitions of enlightenment, how you'll know you're enlightened. How, how, would, how would, would any of you want to know when you're enlightened? Like, you're like, okay, I've reached it. That'd be nice to know. So then you could stop. Uh, no, there's no stop. <laughs> anyway, the first definition of enlightenment or knowing that you're enlightened, that you can, that you can rest, is from Ram Dass. And Ram Dass said, you'll know you're enlightened when your family says you are. Okay, so I guess I keep working. Then, the other definition that I get from Emma Curtis Hopkins in the last chapter of uh, high, um, Scientific Christian Mental Practice is the crown of glory. She says, you'll know you have arrived when you embrace everything, even criticism. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Because, she said, if you embrace it, there may be a kernel of truth in it. And you can always throw out what's not true. But you can't throw out what's not true if you don't even let it in. See, I'm looking at this because I'm noticing that in our world, what I'm noticing is that people aren't listening to each other. There's probably much more in common. There's probably much more in common that a lot of people have, and probably people have more in common than they're willing to admit, but they won't listen to the other side. They just close off. I notice it in our government. I notice it in, in world affairs right now. We're not listening to each other. So I need to know that I can't change them, but I can change me. Because in this idea of biology, every cell counts. Every cell in my body counts. If I don't care, if my cells aren't healthy, this body won't be healthy. And eventually, if this body's not healthy, I won't be healthy. And, if, and Paul said, we are the body of Christ. We are the body of this infinite intelligence. And the healthier we become, the more we allow the body to be healthy. So it, it's important that we stay healthy, that we grow, that we take things in, that we become a, a healthy <laughs> antibody for the cancers that affect our society. That we are it. We are what we want to see in the world. So uh, that's, that's talk number one. You can all clap. <laughs> uh, 
number two. Talk number two is in response to Lisa Craze and her uh, statement that she made to something that I put in Facebook, which is that we could live by intuition, and if we lived by intuition, that we'd live an inspired life. And she said, well, how do I know it's intuition? How do I know it's intuition and not just thinking? And how many of you have ever had that question? Is this intuition or is this just wishful thinking? I've worked on this for about 25 years. I think I have this one down. I now trust my intuition because I've worked with it so long, I know when it's a download and when it's just wishful thinking. I know when I am getting some, uh, thinking a thought that Kathy Ann would never th- think, and I know when I'm fooling myself, like, oh my goodness, I'm in, this, in, I'm in the grocery store and there's Haagen-Dazs. Must be a sign. <laughs> No, it's not. I mean, how many of you have done that? You know, back in the day when you were wanting to date and, and somebody looked at you, it's a sign. No, it's not. <laughs> Except that you're stupid. Um, I was, I've been stupid. I'm not talking you. I'm talking I've, I've been stupid. Anyway... So I wanted to share with you a way that I developed intuition and the way I've learned to trust it. And by the way, just last night, and the reason that I know I needed to talk about this is just last night I was studying another book by Joseph Pierce called The Biology of Transcendence, and he shared the process that many scientists related to about their discoveries of something that, they, that was so new, it actually changed society. That they had the same process that I'd had. I thought, wow! But I've been searching for this and working on it, and what they were just doing was looking for the answer for a problem. And this would be the thing of, of like, the, I can't even name all of them because I'm not that good at it, but like how, we, how the gentleman came up with lasers and how we got refrigeration and, and uh, praise God for Tesla and alternating currents because I have a, a hot wire around my, my, our fences because otherwise the horses chew on the fences and, and they kick them and just, you know, destroy fences because I mean, the horse is bigger than a fence. But with a little alternating current, they stay away. I'm glad because I've touched that fence, and I'm glad it stopped. I'm glad it doesn't just electrocute you. It's just a little jab and then done. Jab. Tesla. God bless Tesla. Besides the car. (coughs) The real Tesla. So I'm going to give you eight things to do to develop your intuition and know if you are uh, being inspired from above or just being uh, manipulated by your stinking thinking. Ready? All right, number one. Ask a question or have a need. Now, as it turns out, I get downloads that I didn't even know I had a question about, but that's because once God gets started talking, it's really chatty. Just chat, 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 chat. Yes, you need a pencil and paper. Yes, someone's going to get you a pencil and paper. Or get a pencil and paper. This is good. So have a question or a need because this is for you to develop your intuition. 
So develop it, start with a focus. For the scientists, it was like they wanted to know more about this or they wanted to know about this. The, the gentleman that developed um, the lasers didn't, had no idea that there was even going to be a laser, but his whole focus was, I want to know about the, the physiology of optics. He was a physicist who specialized in optics, and he, he really wanted to understand it. More later on that story. Second, puzzle it out. I mean, and for that, what I mean is listen to your mind, and if it has ideas, write them all down. Write down everything that comes to you. Why? Because your mind wants to be heard. It wants to be paid attention to. And if you don't write it down and pay attention to what your mind is saying, it's still going to interrupt you when God might be talking. So write it all down. <laughs> then sort of have a pla when, when you've listed everything sort of have a, a pause and see if any of the things you've written down affect you physically like do they feel right or do you write these things down and you've got no response at all no response at all is a response of, it's not your truth. I've worked with myself, and I've worked with people for I, almost 34 years. This is 100% this is true for me, 100%. When people say their truth, not the truth, but their truth, what is true and good for them, there will be a response in their body. They will smile. They will feel lighter. They'll sigh. They'll relax. I'm not sure what it will be, but there's always a response for good in the body when someone says their truth. It said, the truth shall set you free, but it's not, I, not somebody else's truth. It's my truth that will set me free. Jim, didn't we do that in class a lot? It worked, huh? It does work. It it, it, I've never seen it not work. So please notice that when you write all these things down, if you don't, if something you write down doesn't go, oh, yeah, you haven't got it yet. If you get an oh, yeah, then move on to the next few steps. But if you haven't got it, great. <laughs> this is when you go into step number four. You tried everything, stop efforting. Just stop efforting. In the series of things that were described uh, by Pearson in his, in his um, list of things that scientists go through, because they try a thing and 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 nothing works, what he said they did was they gave up hope but I would never give up hope. My, my phrase for step number six is just stop efforting. I don't give up hope because I've done this so much time, so many times. I know the universe is going to speak in its own good time, and most likely it's when I'm going to be still, which is when I drive. I don't listen to the radio. I just breathe. And somewhere between Everett and Seattle, things show up. 
the universe is still speaking. Now, if the universe is always revealing itself to its creation, don't go into, I don't know the, the answer, because the only thing that will keep you from knowing the answer is the mantra, I don't know the answer. I don't know. It's not coming to me. Get a new mantra. I am awaiting the divine answer. I am awaiting the divine answer. The not divine answer is going to be made known to me. So that you're, you're shifting gears and you're becoming open to a, a, an answer, of an idea that will really spark you on the inside. So never give up. Number five, never give up. Just listen. And do not say, I do not know. Number six, there will be a breakthrough. And in a flash, you will know what you need to know. And when I say flash, it's like, back to the man that was a physicist and also worked with optics. On a Friday evening, something showed up with all of these, these, these descriptions and, and, and formulas, and he spent the weekend trying to write it all down, what came to him in just a flash. And actually, I use the word flash because the scientists that were studied all used that word. They said we knew what we needed to know. It came to us in a flash. And the way I describe it is, there's no mental process. You weren't thinking, it just showed up. It just shows up. And the way I also know that it's my intuition is it's not something I would have thought. Like, we're, we're, we're doing what? It'll, it might actually be somewhat surprising. So... Let me give you an illustration. When I was in my 20s, I wanted to know what my career was supposed to be. I didn't want another job. I wanted a career that I could sink my teeth into and spend the rest of my life growing in and it growing me. I wanted something I could really invest in. I was just called to invest in something. And since I was uh, a communications major, I saw something like in PR, like for a Fortune 400 company, company and having to move to, oh, they would move me to New York and I'd be in a high tower and there'd be windows and corner office and uh, I had dreams. And, and so I was just sort of wanting God to tell me which company I should invest in. What, what, what industry am I going to give my life to? And I was sitting on someone's deck and we were outside. It was back in the day when uh, I, I don't know of anybody that used sunscreen, and I had baby oil all over me, and I was upset. I remember thinking I was upset with her because she was shading me. She was sitting in such a way, I was, she was shading my legs, and I thought, you know, that's just rude. I was 20. I remember, did anybody else live that life? No? Just a few of you? It's like, I'm trying, I'm trying to get both legs brown here, and... Um, and I, I had thought that thought. That was my thought. Although I'd spent time 
What am I supposed to do? God, give me direction. I had done all the stuff, but, but when I stopped thinking about it, I was on the deck, I was thinking about tanning, and all of a sudden I heard the words, you're going to be a minister. And I knew that wasn't my idea because it was like, oh, no. Oh, no. But it was so not my idea, I knew it was the idea. And it turned out okay. <laughs> once, it got, once again, God wins. Um, the more you, you know, the more you live in those first six steps, and I'm going to give you number eight in a minute, but the more you live by those first six steps of, of having a desire, doing what you can, finally stop efforting, really decide to listen, and then know when there's a flash or a breakthrough and recognize it for what it is, which is something that you wouldn't have thought of because you have actually received a thought, then, then you're living by inspiration and not desperation. See, sometimes we see a thing and we're desperate to fix it. I gotta fix it. What do you think this energy will do? I gotta. It will not accomplish a lot. A lot. It's just frenetic. Back to the laser. God thought. So much more effective. So much more effective. Then we start to live. We live. Back to that cell thing. The problem. Instead of defending ourselves, we let it, the problem, we embrace the problem like the cell would do, but instead of desperately trying to fix the problem, we let the problem be the source of an inspiration that will probably be better than what we could have ever fixed or come up with. I'm going to get to eight in a minute, but I just want to finish on this a little bit because I want to give you an example of, of desperation and inspiration. Last year, our, um, our income really was cut <laughs> dramatically because of COVID. So about in March, we knew we could project ahead in the budget and know that we would probably have a shortfall of probably about $200,000. One, because a lot of the things that we do to make a balanced budget, we couldn't do. Retreats, Gourmets for God was, uh, was diminished. Uh, a lot of classes that we did and, and, and in-person things just went away. And there was a part of me, because I'm responsible for a balanced budget, became desperate. And so I was coming up with ideas. And Abigail was coming up with ideas, and then it's like, no, mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. And I remember the staff probably wanting, like, what are we going to do? And I just became still. And I was inspired to do some things I've never done before, and they actually were really, like, God-inspired. Um, and we ended up with $40,000 in the black. Because God's ideas are better than my ideas. God has good ideas. 
Now number eight. When you have an inspiration, make sure you act on the inspiration. Because no action will be a block to further inspiration. That's like you having a conversation with somebody and you ask their advice and they give you advice and you go, mm, yeah, maybe not. Especially if you want the advice, at least act on it. Just pretend. <laughs> but don't pretend with God because God gave you, God is going to give you good advice. If you ask and you get a download, move forward. When I was told I was going to be a minister, whether I wanted to or not, I started looking into how to become a minister. That, that week. And it didn't happen all of a sudden. It, it took a lot of stuff to have that happen. But I started the process of moving forward right away. See, the outcome may not be now or next week or whenever, but as long as you're moving forward, when you leave the shore of what's known because you've been inspired among what's the other side of the unknown, you move forward and the path will be made. The, I, the, I could tell you miracles. There were so many miracles in me becoming a minister. Block after block after block after block disappeared. Like, I felt like Moses and the Red Sea. It's like God said, go to that side, you're going to be a minister. It's like, blah, 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 okay, I'll make a step. And everything moved. It is, it is so much more delightful to live by inspiration. It's easier. And now God and I talk. And sometimes, now it tells me things whether I ask or not. I'm just like, I'm busy just moving forward because I got three, I got three things to do just from Everett to Seattle this morning. Like, okay, fine. I got an inspiration while I was talking first service, while I'm talking. And I said, thanks. You could have waited in between sentences. But anyway, <laughs> this is how it works. This is how life can work when we lived when we, you know, this is the center for spiritual living. When we live from our depth, God will take care of the rest. Let's pray. Oh, just take a deep breath. I've talked a lot. You wrote. I saw you taking notes. God bless you. Thank you for, Darlene, for taking care of people. And I hope you got your notes and your paper and everything. Good, good, good. Let's just take a deep breath. And ask yourself because it's... The Spirit of God is gentle. It asks to be involved in your life. It asks, do you want my involvement? I've got some ideas. But you're the one that needs to say yes. So if you want more inspiration, if you want to have your intuition expanded and strengthened, Ernest Holmes said that, in, that intuition is nothing more than God speaking to us. If you want to hear what God's got to say, simply in your heart of hearts right now, say yes. And then follow the steps. And you will live a life uncommon. And so it is.